welcome to A Reason for Hope, a daily Bible answer program, and uh, we're excited to be here after the holidays and a little bit of a hiatus for, well, for some of us anyhow, but um, yeah. let me just mute this out. But, uh, <laughs> That's usually my problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm usually the guy that fails to uh, mute his uh, his equipment, so well, we, uh, we, we're sharing the wealth here today. Yeah, <laughs> That's right. yeah I've, I haven't been in here in a couple of weeks, so I had to actually re- uh, learn how to do everything, but uh, excited to be here. Uh, there are many ways for you to join us. Uh, we do uh, a daily Bible answer program where we give reasons for hope, hope and faith uh, in Christ and Scripture and so on. And and so there are m- multiple ways you can get in touch with us and uh, leave your questions. We we do really enjoy when you engage with us live online. So we live stream this broadcast every weekday at five o'clock, and you can catch us course on Facebook you can live stream on uh, you can <clears throat> log in to your Facebook account and of course watch the program and our Facebook handle is at CCF Tucson and uh, be sure to leave your questions there if you do decide to watch us live on Facebook we also live stream at the same time to YouTube and if you do watch us on YouTube we'd really appreciate it if you would subscribe and of course hit that notification bell so you can catch all our live events we we live stream all our services special events, services, and so on. <clears throat> if you don't want to have to do a search for A Reason for Hope on YouTube, our, our actual address is right there. It's at A Reason for Hope 546. You can also follow Pastor Scott Richards on Twitter and leave questions there. He's always following uh, his Twitter feed, even during the live broadcast, and his Twitter handle is at Scott R4H. That's at Twitter. If you want to watch live at our website, you can visit calvarychristianfellowship.com and hit the watch live button. And there you'll be uh, watching the, the all our services, and you can also ask questions there. There's a chat function in our live stream. We also have a Bible <clears throat> app um, where, where we have, you can actually read through the Bible on this app. You can listen to all our services and our past live streams and our past services. Uh, you can download the app at, of course, Apple and Google Play Store on Amazon, and we have the app available on the Roku as well. And of course, if you <clears throat> are a little shy and don't want to necessarily pose a question in public and prefer to do it anonymously or would just rather email your question, you can do so at questionsforhope at gmail.com. And that's questionsforhope spelled out in complete letter form, <laughs> no numbers, at gmail.com. Okay. Well, in studio with me today is Pastor Scott Richards, our our uh, fearless leader. And, uh, <laughs> wow, <laughs> I haven't heard that title used uh, since uh, I was watching Rocky and Bullwinkle. I said, I think <laughs> Boris and Natasha, their boss was called Fearless Leader. So, <laughs> right, right, yeah, a little TV trivia for you. <laughs> yeah, gosh, it's uh, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, you're old enough to remember that. That's good. Yeah, hey. my name's Adrian, and uh, I'm sitting in for Pastor Dave Robson. I'm going to be here every Monday, so you'll get a little uh, uh, different voice uh, from time to time. But uh, less of a British accent, we would say. A bit less. But yeah, I could try, but yeah. he would probably cringe. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we take your questions, uh, we have uh, I'm monitoring everybody uh, here on all our different platforms. Uh, why don't we take a moment to pray and ask the Lord to be with us and to give us insight and wisdom as we speak and try to uh, answer your questions about Scripture, about uh, the Christian worldview, uh, defending 
the faith and so on. So let's take a moment to do that. Yeah. Uh, Father, I thank you so much that we have this opportunity to invite you to be a vital and living part of this broadcast. We pray, Lord, that your word would go forth in clarity, uh, Lord, in conviction, uh, and and touch the hearts of people, Lord, uh, especially those who are on the outside uh, in looking at a relationship with you. I pray you to use this as an opportunity for people to understand what it means to have a relationship with you, uh, that they can, by faith, invite you to come into their lives, forgive their sins, and be their Lord, uh, because uh, you died for their sins and rose from the dead in a moment of history so we can have life. Your word says if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So I pray that uh, many people will call upon your name and just uh, simply express that desire to you and uh, experience what it means to be born again, being given a brand new life because of what you've done. Thank you for this opportunity to be able to explore your word. Guide us and direct us with the questions we pray. Uh, we uh, ask that you would be glorified in everything that we say and do during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I understand that there has been some exciting discoveries uh, on the archaeological front. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, interesting uh, uh, article. It was run uh, first in the Christian Post and also uh, some comments made uh, at the, the excellent AnswersInGenesis.org website. If you're not familiar with Answers in Genesis, I'd really encourage you to visit it often. Uh, Ken Ham and the staff there uh, just do a tremendous job of uh, defending the faith, uh, as they say, from the very first verse in Genesis. Uh, and uh, you can uh, dig as deep as you want into a lot of controversial subjects. Uh, articles written by uh, Ph.D.-level scientists from major universities who take a uh, solidly biblical perspective uh, on defending the Word of God. So highly recommend that. But um, interesting article uh, uh ran there just a couple of days ago. It says, inscription, one of the most important archaeological discoveries in Israel of all time has been uh, unearthed. Now, this archaeological discovery, believe it or not, uh, is something that was discovered back in uh, quite a few years ago, 2007, but uh, it is now uh, being uh, published, and uh, the significance of it is, uh, is being expressed. The Jerusalem Post had an article uh, talking about an in limestone inscription that was found in Hezekiah's tunnel. Now, if you've been with us on one of our trips to Israel, uh, you know that uh, we have gone by the area called Hezekiah's tunnel. Uh, it is near the area of the Pool of Siloam, where I was uh, unceremoniously beamed by a chunk of concrete thrown by a Palestinian on one visit. Uh, but uh, you go through this area, and you, you are shown... Uh, one of the uh, most stunning examples of ancient uh, architecture and engineering uh, that you'll ever come across. Uh, King Hezekiah, according to uh, the scriptures, uh, commissioned in the book of uh, Second Kings a, uh, a uh, uh, tunnel uh, to be dug through solid limestone rock that would allow the uh, uh, people of Jerusalem to withstand an oncoming siege by the Assyrians that they were anticipating. Uh, this uh, tunnel goes over 700 feet, uh, again, through solid limestone, and uh, is uh, just amazing because it provided a reliable water source uh, for the people of Israel. It was very successful when it's done. In fact, if you go on a tour, one of the things you can do is you can actually wade through this particular tunnel from where it comes out by the Gihon Spring, 
uh, on uh, the area around near the Pool of Siloam. And you can take it all the way into uh, the city of Jerusalem, underneath uh, the area where the walls of Jerusalem used to be. Uh, and uh, for those who've done it, I have not done it just because of time considerations. Uh, from what I understand, uh, it gets to the point where it's about, oh, say, uh, chest deep or so in, in certain spots. But uh, it, it is still a functioning water supply for the city of Jerusalem. And uh, the, the, uh, the architecture and uh, the engineering involved with it is just absolutely stunning. Uh, two teams of, um, of uh, construction people back during that time dug from different directions and met halfway uh, in order to complete this particular uh, uh, amazing uh, feat. Of, uh, of infrastructure for the people of Israel. And it did provide uh, this reliable water source that withstood uh, siege warfare even through the time of uh, Nebuchadnezzar invading uh, Israel uh, down through, uh, through that time. But uh, in the uh, uh, discoveries that they made around there, this uh, very interesting uh, palm-sized limestone tablet was found in uh, 2007. Well, the Jerusalem Post explains that these inscriptions on this limestone tablet include the name of King Hezekiah and summarize his main actions during the first 17 years of his reign, including the water project, uh, ritual reform, the conquest of Philistia, and the accumulation of uh, property. Now, why were these deciphered uh, 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 inscriptions so important? Well, one researcher explains this is an extremely important discovery that changes some basic assumptions of research, since until today it was commonly accepted that the kings of Israel and Judah, unlike the kings of the ancient Middle East, did not make themselves royal inscriptions and monuments to commemorate their achievements. They also support the claims that, now catch this, that the scriptures in the book of Kings are based on texts originating from chronicles and royal inscriptions, and that the Bible reflects, catch this, historical reality and not imagination now that is something that floors uh the archaeological community uh in uh, this day and age but it shouldn't floor anybody who is familiar uh with the scriptures particularly the perspective of jesus uh in on the scriptures uh one of jesus most famous statements if we tell you earthly things and you don't believe how you believe if we tell you about heavenly things in John chapter 3, uh, Jesus definitely took the idea that the scripture is in fact reliable and testable based upon human events. And, and I think, uh, you know, you see the generosity of God in all of this uh, because uh, there are those who believe that faith in the Bible as God's word is uh, sort of a um, leap into the dark. Uh, if you want to believe that, you can just sort of believe that and you put your fingers in your ears and go, no, 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 because uh, science is going to disprove all of this. No, we're, we're discovering over and over and over again that biblical faith, true biblical faith, is not a uh, leap into the dark. It's a step into the light. Uh, we see uh, peoples. We see uh, customs. Uh, we see commercial transactions. We see historical events uh, not refuted by archaeological discoveries, but rather confirmed by them. And so uh, this discovery uh, and uh, the seeming eyebrow-raising uh, by secularists, I think, also illustrates something else. Uh, when we hear that science has disproved the Bible or, or you know, there are scientific discoveries that just are at odds 
with the Bible. We have to be very careful with our terms there. Um, you know, again, uh, no less a, an individual than William Lane Craig, who is known as a solid Christian apologist, has been catching uh, quite a bit of uh, uh, controversy online because he is uh, publishing a book on the first 11 chapters of Genesis where he says that these first 11 chapters in Genesis are mytho-historic. And that's kind of his way of saying, well, there's some historical aspects of all of this, but, uh, you know, things, uh, for instance, like Noah's flood, a global worldwide flood, that's mythological. Why? Because it doesn't line up with the so-called scientific consensus in our day. Although uh, the idea of a worldwide flood, and we can explore this if you'd like to send in questions about this, uh, has been confirmed by the fact that there are incredibly consistent accounts of a global flood and the survival of a global flood by one family, including taking our animals on a ship, uh, not just in the book of Genesis, in Jewish culture, if you will, but uh, the Aborigines in Australia have a similar flood myth. The Laplanders in northern uh, Finland have a similar flood myth. Literally, anywhere you go, the Chinese have a similar flood myth. In fact, it even influences uh, their language and uh, their, their written uh, expression and alphabet even to this day. Uh, we see these sort of things, but because the idea of a global flood, a global catastrophe, would stand at complete odds with essential evolutionism, uh, it's thrown out. And, you know, one of the sad things, and I'll just make a little departure on this, is about uh, individuals like uh, Dr. Craig, uh, you know, trying to compromise with the world about all these things and an evolutionistic point of view about these sort of things uh, is this. They, 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 I think, have good intentions in that uh, part of their motivation is to say, well, you know, the idea of a global flood and the idea of, uh, you know, say, a young earth creation, uh, that's all well and good for believers, but it's not really a hill I want to die on because I want to reach non-believers. I want to meet them, in a sense, halfway with their worldview and show that you don't really have to uh, believe in, say, a literal Adam and Eve. Uh, you don't have to believe in a six-day creation. You don't have to believe in a flood of Noah. Uh, you don't have to believe, say, for instance, in the uh, genealogies that we find there, including the old ages uh, uh, that uh, individuals live to during these times. In order to be a Christian, uh, let's just hand wave this off and talk about the resurrection of Jesus. Hey, I get the motivation behind that. I think it's uh, well-intended, but ultimately self-defeating. And this is why. Uh, those who've critiqued Dr. Craig's book, not just from a Christian point of view, and if you want to read a, uh, a pretty uh, substantial critique of uh, William Lane Craig's uh, new book uh, on mytho uh, history in Genesis, uh, go to answersingenesis.org. They've got a great article on this. Uh, but uh, the interesting thing is this. He's also catching it from the other side. Uh, the other side, evolutionists are saying, well, okay, uh, you're conceding that evolutionism explains everything. Why should I listen to your Bible at all? And, and I've seen this personally. Uh, you know, there was a, a friend of mine who was a retired attorney. I was sharing the Lord with on a regular basis. He enjoyed a good argument. I enjoyed a good argument. And we used to debate about uh, the reliability of Scripture uh, quite a bit. Uh, I remember him coming up to me in the gym while I was running on the treadmill and just looking as pleased as the cat that just ate the canary 
And he said, hey, I just got out of the sauna, and I was talking with a pastor in there, and he told me that you don't have to uh, uh, believe in a young earth in order to believe in the Bible. You can also believe in evolution. And I, I you know, put the treadmill on pause, and I go, well, okay, here we go. Here comes a big debate. And the next thing he said just really amazed me. He put his hands on his hips, and he said, that made me sick. And I went, what? And he goes, well, you know, uh, I totally disagree with your point of view. But anybody who's read the book of Genesis knows you can't harmonize that at all with evolutionism. I think you're wrong, but at least you're consistent. And, and I never forgot that. Because if we throw out the truth of God's word in order to try to make friends on the other side, the friends on the other side are ultimately not going to respect us. So uh, really important for us to understand these things, a little bit of a departure there. Uh, but uh, the Hezekiah's Tunnel uh, discovery, another example of the fact uh, that uh, I just think uh, that uh, last line uh, that that expert says uh, from the Jerusalem Post is something that we really need to take to heart. Uh, the Bible reflects historical reality and not imagination. And that, I believe, begins from the very first verse. And we can obviously talk about some of these issues as the broadcast unfolds. Yeah, and I, I love this quote from uh, a, a New Testament scholar. And uh, he says, in the Gospel of Luke and Acts of the Apostles, the physician Luke makes references to 32 countries, 54 cities, and nine islands without a single mistake. And I thought that was <clears throat> worth mentioning that F.F. Bruce, and he says that Luke's sure familiar with the property, proper titles of all uh, um, notable persons who are mentioned in his pages is one of the most remarkable tokens of his accuracy. And uh, <clears throat> in this presentation, you know, we, we've all shared multiple times here on the program of how often when you just take a shovel right. and go out to Israel and dig, you will confirm how accurate the historians who penned the pages of Scripture were, because they were the real people in the real places and right. times in which they were communicating, right. and simply communicating what God was doing in their lives at that time. Yeah, And not only that, but God <clears throat> almost guaranteed by inspiring these writers to write without error, which is pretty profound. And so far, uh, the Bible has stood the test of time. Yeah. Over and over, when it gets challenged, it gets vindicated. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's such an important thing for us to understand, because if we can't trust the Bible regarding things we can verify in the annals of history or through archaeology, why are we going to trust it on things that we can't verify? That is how we're going to get to heaven. Uh, that is a really, really important issue. And, uh, you know, people say, you know, well, you know, is that really a hill to die on? Yeah, ultimately it is, because if you can undermine the historicity of the Bible, well, we come back to Jesus' statement. If I tell you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? That seems an awful lot like uh, throwing down the gauntlet to me. It yeah. seems that in our time, we're getting more and more hostility. I was reading an article where an actor or actress, I think, uh, simply mentioned that they believed in Jesus. Just sort of a random thing. It's, oh, I believe in Jesus. And the feedback was horrendous it was like you've betrayed us yeah you have we can't you're done yeah well individuals <laughs> like chris pratt from uh, the guardians of the galaxy and and uh, jurassic, park, jurassic park and 
and so on, going all the way back to Parks and Rec, where he kind of made his debut. Mm -hmm. You know, he was very open about the fact that he was a Christian, and boy, he has uh, caught a lot of grief for that. And what's interesting is that <clears throat> everyone knew that going in, and so it, what, it, what it's showing is how much has changed just in the last few years. Like, there's an increased hostility towards Christianity just in the last five years that is uh, something that I, I haven't seen in my lifetime in terms of public awareness or uh, culture. I mean, culture's always been secular in, in my lifetime, at least. There's been a secular sentiment, but uh, now there's like this growing hostility towards the Christian faith, uh, and part of it's cultural and in, in the American version of it, and some of it's just general because they don't like, people don't like what the Bible has to say about reality. Yeah, well, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, I think, gives us a heads up on that. Uh, writing there, the Apostle Paul says that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work, uh, but he who uh, restrains will do so until he is taken out of way, and then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, the Antichrist, and it goes on from there. Uh, you know, this mystery of lawlessness, this idea that man is the measure of all things, you know, that uh, truth is not found uh, in revelation, but in man's speculation, uh, that, uh, you, know, if, you know, opinion is the queen of all virtues. And if you're sincere, that's all that really matters. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, if you just firmly believe what you're saying, then objective reality, well, we kind of throw that out. Um, Your truth versus my truth. Yeah, you know, relevi relativistic thinking. And, you know, I'm old enough uh, to remember when these ideas began to be, you know, in included in the public school system. And uh, before I finished my secular education, uh, I, I can tell you that uh, as long as you weren't a born-again Christian, uh, any other opinion would be openly tolerated. Uh, you know, I, I can recall being in classes where someone would say, man, I worship citrus fruit, and people would go, oh, man, that's really beautiful. But if you said, well, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, and I believe his statement, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Oh, you know, there'd be screaming and yelling, and people would say something to the effect of, uh, you, know, who, you know, who lets you in? to this institution, you know, your horrible Philistine. Uh, so it was almost like anything but the truth. And, and, and that is that mystery of lawlessness. You know, we, we need to understand that what we see in reality is the tip of the iceberg. And, uh, you know, we talk about spiritual warfare, and, and obviously discussions about spiritual warfare go from the sublime to the ridiculous, mm -hmm. even in Christian circles. But one of the things we really need to understand is that spiritual warfare it's not making things go bump in the night or having a little girl uh, throwing up pea soup or something <laughs> like that. Um, Satan does his greatest damage through doctrine, through truth claims. Uh, and one of the greatest truth claims that Satan has used, even back to the Garden of Eden, goes like this. Has God indeed said? Mm. And, uh, and that, I think, is what we see in our culture. If God has not spoken, right, then your opinion my opinion, Pee Wee Herman's opinion, you name it, uh, they're all valid. Um, you know, even Adolf Hitler's opinion, they're all valid. You know, you want to talk about sincerity. Hitler was a very sincere guy. He died for his beliefs, mm -hmm. after all. You know, people don't really want to take it to that uh, extent. But, you know, they say, well, you know, I, I, I think, uh, I think uh, you know, just as long as you're good, as long as you don't hurt anybody. 
well, why should I believe that? You know, it's just we we have this sort of Judeo-Christian hangover, if you will. Maybe it's part of what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God that's in our hearts that we can't seem to get away from. That there is a, C.S. Lewis talked about this uh, moral imperative, this great ought, mm. uh, this sense of fair and unfair that we can't get away from, no matter where we are, no matter what culture uh, you might want to examine. And, you know, I really believe that God has placed that in our hearts, but uh, you see the spiritual battle that is, is taking place. And since those who buy into the idea of relativistic thinking, or that man is the measure of all things, uh, secular humanism, uh, control, for instance, academia, they control uh, the uh, mainstream media, they control uh, the entertainment uh, that we uh, uh, take in in our society. And as we have seen, they, they control social media in, in many ways, uh, allowing certain uh, opinions to be highlighted and certain opinions to be expressed mm. or, or uh, suppressed. You know, the bottom line is, is this. Uh, we uh, are seeing this spiritual battle taking place, and it is a, a war for the hearts and minds of individuals, and that's why we do what we do here on a reason for hope. We want to equip people to be able to uh, give a, an effective reason for why faith in Christ makes sense, why it corresponds to reality, why it stands up under examination. We don't want to hide in the church and just have our own little holy huddle here and keep all those people that might question our faith out. We need to be out there. We need to be uh, sharing our faith in uh, this increasingly dark world because uh, as I read the signs of the times, uh, I'm not sure how much time we have left, which yeah. brings up another uh, interesting uh, story uh, that we saw right before airtime. Our good friend Joel Rosenberg mm -hmm. on his uh, All uh, Israel News website has a uh, fascinating headline today. Are we living in the end times? Why do almost 40% of all Americans say yes, including 63% of evangelicals? Well, uh, Joel Rosenberg's article is fascinating, and I, and I hope uh, you'll uh, take the time uh, to be able to uh, read it yourself. But uh, Joel Rosenberg's survey here uh, doesn't come from a Christian source. It wasn't conducted by Christianity Today or, or the Christian Post. Uh, this was done by a, the Pew Research uh, incident, uh, Institution, uh, which is a non-religious and non-partisan uh, research institution and one of the most respected uh, Joel's article uh, says this, almost 4 in 10 Americans, adults aged 18 and over, believe we are now living in the end times. That's 103 million Americans. That's pretty significant. 63% wow. uh, of evangelicals believe this. But what's surprising, and these are the statistics that are really eyebrow-raising, at least to me, is that 29% of Americans from non-Christian religions, that includes Jews, Muslims, <clears throat> Buddhists, and Hindus, believe we're living in the last days, wow. the end times. Now, it gets even more significant. 30% of Americans who identify themselves of no particular religion believe we are living in the end times, in the last days. That includes 14% of agnostics and 9% of atheists wow. believing we're living in uh, the last <clears throat> days. 34% uh, of white Americans believe this. 33% of Asian Americans, 41% of Hispanic Americans, 68% of African Americans, 45% of all Republicans agree with this, and so do 33% of all 
Democrats, which I think raises a couple of very important questions. Why do you suppose so many Americans believe the end of human history is near? Well, Joel says the answer is not complicated. Uh, the Russian invasion of the Ukraine has uh, rattled some cages, uh, including uh, the discussion of the possibility of using nuclear weapons in this uh, particular avenue. Some saying that you know the United States getting involved on this particular uh, level that we're in could trigger a third uh, world war. Uh, COVID deaths have passed 6.7 million people worldwide. Pandemics and so forth uh, are certainly rattling people's cages. Inflation uh, and the global economy is absolutely surging. So uh, there's a lot of upheaval going on here. Now, Adrian, I think the big question uh, we got to ask ourselves is, uh, are these people right? Are we living in the last days and the end times? Well, you know, your opinion or my opinion, uh, certainly that and $3.50 will get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. But uh, the interesting thing is this, Jesus' disciples asked him in the book of Matthew chapter 24, a very important question. Tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Uh, now, Jesus uh, could have passed on that. He could have said, well, you know, it doesn't really pertain to you. Uh, next question. No, he gave them a very detailed list of signs to watch for. In fact, Jesus said this, you will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not frightened for these things must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places, there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Then they will deliver you to tribulation. They will kill you. You will be hated by all nations by my name. In that time, many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures the end will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then uh, the end will come. Uh, again, in the book of Luke, chapter 21, we are told there will be in various places plagues and famines and great signs from heaven. There will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth dismay among nations and perplexity at the roaring of the sea and the waves, men fainting from fear and the expectation of the things which are coming upon them. But when these things begin to take place, Lift up your heads and look up because your redemption is drawing near. Uh, again, in the book of Mark chapter 13, uh, Jesus went on to say, Now learn a parable from the fig tree. When its branches have already become tender and put forth leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near right at the door. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away till all things will take place. Well, Joel Rosenberg <laughs> makes some interesting comments on these scriptures. He says, wars and rumors of wars, check. False religions and false prophets and false messiahs, check. Terrible persecution of Christians, check. Earthquakes, famines, and plagues spreading across the earth, check. And the earth church actively taking the gospel message of God's love and forgiveness to every nation in the world. Uh, well, the mission's not accomplished, but even our little corner of ministry here on a reason for hope. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, but we reach out to the entire world each and every day. Uh, there's a program that shows uh, where uh, your particular uh, outreach is taking place. We, we do uh, analytics along this line. 
one of the most fascinating things, even uh, on my corner, little corner of things, on, uh, 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 again, uh, Scott Richards, Scott R4H, on Twitter, uh, one of our most receptive and responsive countries to the tweets that we put out, including links to this broadcast, believe it or not, is Pakistan. Wow. Which is a country that is largely closed to any kind of active missionary endeavor, but mm. people are hungry there mm. for the word. We are uh, well represented in uh, sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, you know, there there are all kinds of places uh, where we're able to reach with the good news mm. uh, of Jesus Christ each and every day. And that's just us. There's all kinds of internet outreach going on right now, which I believe is a fulfillment of that prophecy. Now, Joel Rosenberg talks about the parable of the fig tree. He says it's one of the most intriguing. Well, why? Uh, Joel says this, because throughout the Old Testament, God uses the fig tree as a symbol of Israel. So Jesus is saying we see the rebirth of the state of Israel and Jews returning to the promised land after centuries of exile. We see all this happening together with other end time signs that Jesus listed. We need to recognize that he, in fact, is near. Uh, again, Joel Rosenberg would say there's no question that we are living in what the Bible calls the end times. The real question is, so what? Uh, how are you and I going to live differently in light of this extraordinary truth, something worth pondering as we enter into 2023? Hmm. Indeed. Wow. <clears throat> and I wonder how what, what role the climate change hysteria has played into some of those statistics of people saying that they believe we're in the end time. Even atheists, you know, when you've got Congress people saying, we've got 12 years before the world's going to end, things like that. Yeah, do you well, think they that said that plays... 20 years ago. But uh, yeah, yeah, they keep yeah, saying yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> but do you think that aids in the the belief that, uh, well, we're clearly in some sort of apocalyptic end because we're not going to have enough resources? There was that Berkeley professor from the 70s who said we... We had right. 10 years or so. Paul Ehrlich, yeah. Yeah, now he's uh, back. He's from Stanford, actually. Oh, is it Stanford? Uh, a Berkeley person would be offended by that. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, that's right. It was Paul Ehrlich. Yeah, back in the early 70s, he wrote a book called The Population Bomb, mm -hmm. where he confidently asserted that the uh, world would would lose the ability to be able to sustain mm -hmm. its, uh, its population. Resources would absolutely run out by no less a time than 1980. In fact, he said that once the world population reached 7 billion, uh, that uh, there would just be a cataclysm, massive worldwide famines, uh, huge wars because of a lack of resources and so on, which sounds pretty apocalyptic to me. Uh, the, the problem is uh, we're now at 8 billion in our population, mm -hmm. and uh, Dr. Ehrlich's predictions, uh, it's just amazing how consistently he's got it wrong as far as these dire predictions, but... Uh, 60 Minutes featured him uh, with an interview from with Scott Pelley making the very same predictions just two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. I'm glad you remember the name because I was trying to look it up and I thought, gosh, I saw the interview. I just can't remember that guy's name. But what's, what's scary to me is the suggestion that, well, we either radically slow down or find a way to make human beings unable to produce children or we find faster ways of ending our lives. It was so radical. It's it's hard to believe that they would actually host such an opinion <clears throat> on a program like 60 Minutes. Well, you know, again, I'm old enough to remember a lot of this. Uh, in uh, the uh, late 70s, 
Uh, we were con- uh, competently affirmed by you know, reputable media organs like Time Magazine that uh, there was going to be climate change, but it was going to be a coming ice age, that it was impending. Uh, the scare factor was so tremendous that uh, one family we knew in California sold their house and moved to Arizona uh, because they felt that that was the warmest place they could be and the best place that they could uh, go to survive the Ice Age. Mm. That was their motivation. Now, I think there's a lot better reasons to move I, to Arizona. I wouldn't uh, mind a little colder uh, weather. I, 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 <laughs> I enjoy Arizona. Uh, I, I highly recommend it. But um, the, you, you see how people have reacted down through time along that line. And I think those that, that kind of uh, hysteria, uh, in a sense, uh, plays into some of those statistics, mm-hmm. particularly among the atheists and the agnostics. The difference between a Christian's point of view on the last days and the end times is that it's not this, oh, well, you know, this cow's already left the barn. There's yeah. really not much we can do about it now, like the Paul Ehrlichs would say in 60 Minutes would broadcast. Mm-hmm. What we're saying is, yeah, the Bible does say that um, this world under current management Mm -hmm. is not going to continue in its current form, but we also can confidently affirm that the same Jesus, whose life can be verified, as we talked about earlier, by uh, history, by archaeology, and we can verify to the satisfaction of any fair inquirer uh, on a historical basis that Jesus Christ rose from the dead in a moment of history. The same Jesus who rose from the dead promised that he was going to return and right this world gone wrong. Now, that gives us, as believers in Christ, great hope, mm-hmm. great optimism, and, and a great motivation for caring about people, mm-hmm. not uh, becoming uh, overwhelmed by despair and depression like so many people are in this day and age. Great joy, but uh, but but as we uh, talked about it in at Calvary Christian Fellowship on uh, Sunday, if you'd like to see the message, you can look online for it at calvarychristianfellowship.com. But uh, Titus chapter two and verse eleven says, "For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. We shouldn't be running around." Uh, you know, like with our hair on fire or like uh, Chicken Little saying the sky is falling. But we are to be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us. He might uh, redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm not looking for the next ice age. I'm not looking for uh, climate change or, or some pandemic to take us all out. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. And Jesus said that uh, he was going to come back. Uh, and he said uh, he was going to shorten those days because if those days hadn't been shortened, no flesh would survive. But because of the elect, because of his chosen people, those days will be shortened. So we can know that despite what we see in the sci-fi flicks and uh, the Marvel movies and things along this line, uh, there is going to be no hopeless end of the world, like the Paul Ehrlichs would uh, would advocate, but rather we are going to see a new world coming, uh, and uh, Jesus writing this world gone wrong, uh, Edenic uh, conditions re- restored to this world, perfect government, perfect peace, uh, and ultimately it's going to lead us into an eternity with God where everlasting joy is going to be our experience, and that is a message this world needs to hear. Yeah, and I notice there is a subtle satanic 
overtone of this secular secularized version of the doomsday and it typically paints humanity as a virus as something bad we need to depopulate we need to stop robbing the world of its resources where the christian right. worldview yeah. and it, it devalues humanity whereas the christian worldview says no the world was made for humanity by god and we were supposed to be stewards over it, and we've failed at that so it's subtle yes we should take care of the environment that's our responsibility but we've failed and yes we are making huge mistakes and destroying things but uh the other side says, well, no, we need to get rid of humanity. We need to. Yeah, isn't it interesting that I guess what it comes down to is this the message of Jesus, as revealed in the Word, is a message of life. The message of those who reject Jesus is a message ultimately of death. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of John chapter 10 and verse 10, where Jesus said, The thief comes to steal, to kill, mm-hmm. and destroy. Uh, and ultimately, those who align themselves. Uh, with this mentality are going in that direction because there's no hope you see beyond this life. We a really interesting uh, thread on the internet that was talking about the uh, World Economic Federation's Klaus Schwab and uh, George Soros and others that are sort of these high-posting uh, individuals uh, that are, are talking about transhumanism now. We're hearing that, that term. Now, that doesn't refer to being uh, transsexual, that refers to becoming more than human. So if you've seen sci-fis where, say, someone's consciousness is downloaded into an android, the uh, Star Trek uh, follow-up series, Picard, ultimately was about that. That mm-hmm. was the theme of yeah. all of that. And, and these mythic stories like uh, Star Trek or Picard or these things about, you know, we'll be able to live forever with our consciousness embedded uh, into a, an android or artificial intelligence or these sort of things. Uh, you know, it's pushing an agenda. And uh, this really fascinating thread uh, on, uh, on uh, Twitter talked about how the hope of individuals like the WEF and those who are bankrolling it is for them to live on uh, as transhumans. Mm-hmm. And they are trying to push the technology as quickly as they can because that is, catch this, their hope of eternal life. Mm. They live in complete fear of death. And, well, quite frankly, if I've lived my entire life from a background where I was a member of the SS, the beginning, uh, like some of these individuals are, uh, and have not repented of these things, I would be very afraid of judgment and death. Mm. Uh, and, and I think that's what you got there. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come. They might have life and have it more abundantly. Mm. You see, the Christian has reason for historically, archaeologically, philosophically, solidly founded optimism Mm -hmm. because Jesus himself is the one who guarantees these things, and he claimed to be God in human flesh. If the creator of all things, who has all power, says that this is how it's going to go down, uh, we can have confidence about that. We don't have to live in fear. We don't have to live in reaction to these things. It's like Frederick Nietzsche said, if man's end is nothing, he is nothing. So if God does not exist, then human life and human value loses all its significance. And again, Nietzsche uh, also said uh, that if there is no God, all things are permissible. And so I think that's one of the things that sucks people in to this very depressive worldview is that, uh, you know, again, as Aldous Huxley once said, 
that evolutionism gave him complete sexual freedom, and that's why he bought into it. He could pursue any desire he wanted to because this was his philosophical outlook of life. Many of those early proponents during the monkey scopes trials, many of those who ascribe to evolution, the theory of evolution, made statements like that. It was surprising. You can read them online yeah. and how many said, well, this the idea of God interfered with my sexual mores, and now I don't have to think about that. It's like Malcolm Mugger said, if God is dead, <clears throat> someone's going to have to take, him, take his place. It's either uh, erotomania or megalomania. Yeah, and, and it's usually the state, not the state, but the people who feel like they are the elites who run the state, who feel like they can take yeah. God's place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, uh, you know, when we take a look at what the Bible says uh, about the end times, Uh, It's fascinating to me that when uh, the tribulation begins, there's going to be a 10-nation confederacy, the 10 horns, that is, uh, focuses of power. Individuals are going to be running either 10 maybe geographic zones, 10 nations. Uh, We can't be sure. But 10 individuals are going to be overseeing all of that. And then the Antichrist is going to come to power, and he's going to immediately displace three of those individuals. But ultimately, at the halfway point of the tribulation, he himself is going to take the place of all these elite individuals who think they're going to be running the show. Mm -hmm. He's going to declare that he's God to be worshipped. So, uh, you know, I I guess I was just going to say before I forget, uh, it just reminds me of that classic line, uh, from the Lord of the Rings. Uh, there is only one Lord of the Rings, and he does not share power. Uh, I think J.R.R. Tolkien was giving a very interesting insight into those who think they can play footsie with Satan and get what they want out of life. He does not share power. Hmm. And we're going to see that in the last days and the end times. But what a glorious alternative we have in Jesus, who didn't come to dominate, to destroy. He came to save us and deliver us and to cause us to be able to be reconciled to our creator and be able to enter into abundant life. Mm. Boy, that's just too good an opportunity to miss. That's the hope that we have. And, yep. uh, it's not where you don't have to check your brain at the door. You can actually have a reasonable view. In fact, it's the only way, a reasonable way in which we should live. Well, I, I, we, we've definitely explored some great issues here. Maybe we should yeah. get to some yeah, lightning round got, questions here. We've got yeah. some uh, interesting questions. Uh, someone asked on our website, uh, calvarychristian.com and hit watch live you can watch there uh, he says does the bible ever call us to be heresy hunters should we be out looking for people who are abusing scripture or teaching false doctrine and we talked about how satan's main tactic is blinding the minds of individuals uh, getting them to believe in false ideas should we be going around and hunting for quote-unquote, Christian teachers who are teaching heretical or false teachings? Well, you know, I guess at the risk of sounding a little snarky here, um, I don't think you have to go looking for heretics. They always come looking for you. That seems to be the pattern that we see in the Word of God. Boy, you want to talk about a guy uh, that had to deal with uh, false doctrine, twisted doctrine, uh, straight up and straight on. It was uh, Jesus' half-brother Jude. Uh, in the uh, one chapter epistle that bears his name, uh, he said this in verse 3, Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. In other words, Jude says, man, I just wanted to talk about the good things of God with you. I wanted to talk about our common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, 
who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord, uh, the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what Jude is saying uh, is this, man, I wish I could have just talked to you about the good things of God, but guess what? There's people that have crept in and are uh, distorting and twisting the, the, the doctrine of grace in a, a time-honored way. If you're not saved by being good, you might as well be bad. You know, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Mm. You can still be a Christian, live any old way you want, and just uh, come back to God after you're done having your fun and uh, just say, okay, Lord, forgive me, and you're in. Why not sin all the more so grace may abound? Yeah, exactly. Well, what's the, the fatal flaw in that line of thinking? Well, the fatal flaw in that line of thinking is it divorces our relationship with God from just that, I mean, a relationship. It's almost like we look at Christianity as a deal that we have with God. Well, I prayed the prayer, you know, or, or it says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Well, I prayed that prayer. I believe that. Therefore, uh, I'm in. Uh, I'm saved by grace. Uh, God's unmerited favor, so I can go out and live any old way I want. Well, here's the problem with that. Grace leads us into a love relationship with God. And if you love someone, you're not going to be wanting to vote, vote to devote yourself to things. They're going to cause that person you love hardship and pain and grief. Mm. Uh, you know, if you've truly been reconciled to God, if you truly understand the awesome price that Jesus paid to forgive us for our sins, it's going to change the way that you behave. And you're not going to try to game the system or think you can get one over on God because you've got a few verses that you put together that justify uh, your you know, exorbitant lifestyle, your, your God-rejecting lifestyle. I guess maybe the best way I've ever heard it put is this. Someone will say, well, can you be a Christian and still do X and such? You know, name uh, your area of sin. Well, I think the best answer to that I've ever heard was this. Okay, well, if you can do X and such at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, while you're looking upon the awesome and awful price he had to pay, not just physically, but bearing the wrath of God for that sin, if you can go ahead and do that at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ, go ahead but you've told me all I need to know about how you feel about the one who's dying for you, mm. what kind of relationship you really have with him. You know, and, and, and so, uh, you know, uh, should we be heresy hunters? Well, Jude was definitely uh, saying that we need to earnestly contend for the faith, um, you know, on our, uh, on our Twitter uh, feed and uh, on Facebook. If we see somebody putting forth something, that is contrary to sound doctrine, well, then obviously we want to present true doctrine. Mm -hmm. I think where heresy hunters tend to get a bad name is, uh, you know, it's just you, sometimes they become so enamored with ferreting out uh, any kind of defect mm -hmm. in doctrine. They lose sight of the fact that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, there's negotiables and non-negotiables. Yeah. And if a heresy hunter, for instance, is uh, going around, and I'll just use a doctrine that, that, that I uh, passionately believe in, uh, anyone who believes who doesn't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture is a heretic mm -hmm. and a dangerous person and is leading people astray. Um, 
no. Uh, we can agree to disagree on some of these issues, and sincere believers can, but there are certain issues that we can't agree to disagree on. The fact that there's one God, and you're not him, that's, that's a big one to start with, that that God reveals himself as triune, one God who exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We can't agree to disagree on the fact that Jesus is God, very God, who has existed from eternity past and is our creator and our redeemer, that he took on human flesh, died on the cross for our sins, and rose from the dead so that whoever believes in him should not perish mm. but have everlasting life. We can't agree to disagree on that. We can't agree to disagree on the idea that we are saved by his grace and that alone, not by our works. It's not uh, God gets us started and we carry the ball over the finish line. No, we're saved by grace and that alone. We can't agree to disagree that the Bible is God's inspired and inerrant word. We've got to draw the line there. We can't agree to disagree on some other issues, but not on those. So there's a fine line between preserving the truth that unites us and um, and and preserving it so that people aren't led astray where they could actually not know Christ and someone who's causing division within the community of believers. Right. And, and you know, again, when it comes to these negotiables and non-negotiables, people always ask the question, uh, well, if Christianity is true, why are there so many denominations? Well, it's because Christians have convictions on certain scriptural issues, and different denominations will emphasize mm -hmm. certain of these convictions. Mm -hmm. And it's great for people to get together who share those convictions and can encourage each other in those convictions and thereby worship God in an undistracted way. Mm. When we get into trouble, and boy, we've seen it at Calvary Christian Fellowship, is people that kind of have this $6 million man mentality about a church. Mm. They, they go, uh, we can rebuild it. We can make it better than it was before. And so they will come in with their particular pet doctrine or the teachings of their particular pet uh, Bible teacher or pastor that are contrary uh, to the, the, the essentials of what we believe. And boy, they're going to straighten us out. Mm. And uh, they usually try to straighten us out by getting together a little secret group of individuals and pulling people aside and saying, well, you know, all that Calvary Chapel stuff's okay, but but this guy over here, he's really right on. And boy, you've got to be careful about some of the stuff they're into. And pretty soon, they're, uh, they're, they're entering, entering uh, into destructive heresies. Uh, the, the word heresy is rooted in the word heteros, which means other doctrine. Mm. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong. Uh, there have been people that have come into the church and uh, have tried to promote what we would consider negotiables to the point where it becomes divisive mm -hmm. or point, the point where it becomes confusing. And you know, I'm just uh, reminded of how Pastor Chuck Smith would usually deal with that. Uh, if an individual would say that, he would say, well, you know, God has called us to live at peace. If you can't be at peace here, then you need to find some fellowship right. where yeah. you can. And, and, and so you, you have to be careful about that sort of thing. And, and that's why it's wonderful mm -hmm. that there are so many denominations out there that take particular emphasis mm -hmm. on these points because God wants us to worship him in an undistracted way. And would you say, wouldn't you add that uh, trying to find the church where you will 100% agree on every secondary, third tier, fourth tier areas of doctrine would be also very difficult. Well, it'd be impossible, yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know, if you're paying attention, mm, right, you know. Right. I mean, people will say, you know, well, what do you, how do you deal with people that come to the church and they, they disagree with something that you've said? I go, well, it's, I think it's great that they disagree with something that I've said. It just means that they're 
paying attention. Mm-hmm. Now, if they come to me and they'll say, hey, you know, you teach this and I want to know why, uh, I certainly as a pastor need to be able to give a reason for the hope that's within me. Right, yeah. I need to be able to correct those who are in error gently and hopefully get them to see the error of their ways. Uh, but uh, I need to have a solidly scriptural reason for what I teach. Mm. And uh, people who raise those kind of questions do us all a service because, you know, if I fall back into the shut up, he explained mentality of <laughs> being a pastor, uh, then that's not helpful either. Mm. Mm. That's good. Well, we have about 30 seconds left. Um, there's a couple other really good questions that we'll have to get to tomorrow. But uh, thank you so much for tuning in. And uh, please be sure to visit us at the same place, same time, right here on the same platforms. We'll be streaming tomorrow. We'll be uh, Pastor Peter Martin and, of course, Sean Richard will be back. And, and Dave, Dave Robson. Robson. Yeah. Dave will yeah. be back. And, and, uh, and if you'd like to get questions to us uh, between broadcasts, uh, can we encourage you to go to questionsforhope at gmail.com? And again, if you'd like to uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, you can follow me at uh, Scott Richards at Scott R4H on Twitter. And uh, one thing we'd like to hear from you on uh, is this. I largely keep my comments on uh, Twitter. Uh, would you find that helpful if we also include them on Facebook? Let us know. Great. Thank you so much. God bless you. You've been listening to A Reason for Hope. Thank you again for joining us as we continue our journey through God's Word, one question of the heart at a time. Until we meet again, we would love to connect with you. You can text or email your questions to questionsforhope at gmail.com. You can also find out more about our ministry at calvarychristianfellowship.com. And be sure to join us next time on A Reason for Hope. A Reason for Hope is an outreach ministry of Calvary Christian Fellowship in Tucson, Arizona.